0: Hi, this is Thomas Chandler, your local modern woodman representative. Give me a call today at 662 296 186 Let's make a difference together. Hottie Toddy and Go Rebs.
1: You're listening to Talk of Champions, an Ole Miss Spirit podcast with Ben Garrett. It's up, it's
0: up, it's up, it's up.
1: is talk of champions i'm ben garrett at spirit been on twitter today's guest co-host is Bennett at hip at Bennett at hip and today's guest former old miss wide receiver mike sp one of my favorite talk of champions podcast interviews i've ever done if i do say so myself coming up in about 10 15 20 minutes i don't know we're just sitting down to record right now so i really
2: mapped it out he's been at hip what's up man not much man how are you good how are you what are you doing Oh, can't complain. Can't complain. Um, feels weird not having basketball until Saturday. It's just kind of a. It's been tournament, tournament, tournament. Now there's kind of a big break. Went three for four with my final four picks. You did. You're sitting pretty. I mean, you're uh, you're, you're kind of also. Who do you have winning? I had Duke. So yeah. So well. Yeah. Toast. Three out of four is not bad though.
1: No, I would have never guessed that Duke would have been the team. Right? Yeah. Me.
2: Out of everybody you had, yeah. Duke the yeah. one that that lets you down is not a. Uh, that's pretty surprising for sure.
1: Not Auburn, not Texas Tech, not Virginia. Duke. Duke <laughs> let me down. Good grief. But the end of that hurt.
2: game was so weird. I, I that Duke team is so good and um, but all year long, I mean that they've kind of Zion's kind of been their guy. and then you know the last two minutes, And especially last possession, they just go away from him. R.J. Barrett's going to be good, but if I'm going to go down, I want the ball in Zion's hands, and it just wasn't. It's just very strange. I I don't really understand it.
1: R.J. Barrett is going to be a phenomenal pro. Once you surround him with shooters, this Duke team was void of shooting. It was a really poorly constructed roster, if you want to break it down.
2: No shoot. Yeah, it was, it was going to be – had they won a title, they were going to be an extreme outlier from a statistical standpoint in terms of shooting the three. So you, you look at the prototypical teams that win titles. Duke just didn't fit. But you, you kind of thought, well, they just have a generational talent yeah, and Zion, elite, yeah. elite, elite talent around that generational talent, and you just kind of figured – They don't really fit the mold, but if some team was going to break the mold, it was going to be this team, and they just couldn't get it done. That's a good team they lost to, but still, um, that's going to be one that I think Coach K looks back on when he's done and just really um, kicks himself for, because that that was absolutely a team that should have won a title. Kermit Davis
1: didn't particularly break the mold on Monday, but he did make some news. Three players have entered the grad transfer portal. Dominic Olenicek, Brian Hallams, Zach Naylor. Hallam's a nailer. I've been reporting that was coming for quite some time, so that's not surprising. Dom, a little bit of a surprise. I know in January, the hope was that they were going to hold on to Dominic Olenichek, but his roster spot went from being particularly safe for the last couple of months, getting softer and softer, and then ultimately he ends up making this decision. By the end of it, I think Ole Miss would have kept him, but hoped that he would make the decision for them. He did. The surprise is that he's not going home to Europe to play overseas. He's going to try it again at his third college stop. But best of luck to Dom, not surprising. They had to open up in a spot, and once you look at the roster as a whole, Dom made the most sense after Hallams and Naylor because Luis Rodriguez, I think he's the safest outside of the core four of K.J. Buffen, Blake Kinson, Brian Tyree, and Devontae Shuler. After that, Franco Miller, if they had a third one this spring, yeah. But Dom was the next obvious one to go
2: it just never made much sense to me in terms of him coming back because karma's been pretty clear he said during the season but he was obviously pretty much more stronger about it when the season ended that they had to get better down low they had to get older they had to get better in the post and if you look at the way the roster is going to be made up there's just there wasn't a spot for him like you 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 had to add depth down low you're losing bruce um and you're going to bring in some guys but you, you can only have so many bodies there, especially at the five, the way that Kermit wants to play, you're not gonna stack multiple guys there. So you can you need to have functional depth that can actually play. And you know, if they're gonna keep Carlos Curry, and by all accounts they seem to they, they're going to, they have the decision to make on Rodney Howard, whether bring him in now or, or, or wait a year. Um, but you just you couldn't do it. You can't have Carlos Curry and Dom and another big and have a big rotation to to make it work. So uh, for me, it just never made much sense. I didn't think there was a way to configure the roster um, with Dom on it to where it would make much sense for them to keep him around for for next season.
1: Bigger development in Ole Miss sports. Three basketball players transferring out, or Ole Miss baseball winning 2-3 at Arkansas? I know the answer, but...
2: Yeah, uh, b- baseball very easily. I mean, because I think the basketball stuff is pretty obvious. Like I think you, I think we all knew that that Brian Hallams, they were going to leave. Dom, I, I thought it was a, you know done deal as well. They got it official. But for baseball, that was such a big weekend for them um, to go on the road and and not just win a game, but to win two, take the series, um, kind of take some of the pressure off and get back home, um, starting to play well. Now it's just time to kind of build on it and and sustain that level of play for multiple weekends. So. I thought it was a huge weekend on the diamond for Ole Miss. It was just a, it was a tough task to say, hey, go go two or three against Arkansas, but they went and did it in an impressive fashion. So it's um, a very welcome sight for sure.
1: They backdoored it to win it too. That's hard to do against a yeah really good baseball team. What changed this weekend? What caught your eye as far as Ole Miss baseball pot- potentially turning a corner?
2: Well, I thought Casey on Saturday has just been such a such a kind of a find for them. Um, settling that Saturday role. He didn't have his best stuff on Saturday, but he battled. And he doesn't pitch like a freshman. You know, he, he's got pretty good stuff, but he just kind of he, – he's mentally tough. He doesn't let things get to him. Uh, he kept them in the game, hung around, um, and they were able to get the win Saturday. And then Sunday, you know, Sunday games, typically, SEC or wherever, you kind of have to score some runs to win, and Ole Miss hadn't been really doing what doing what they were supposed to do on Sundays. And um, Gunnar Holmgren didn't pitch great. Zach Phillips got hit around a little bit. But Ole Miss just, just hit the ball. You know That offense, we've talked about it all year as one that is going to carry this team. And Ole Miss had not shown the ability to go out and win an offensive shootout, and they did on Sunday. They went and hit the ball. Uh, the middle of the order was really great. Tyler Keenan, uh, Dillard, it was just a really good performance from those guys at the top of the order. And Ole Miss went out and won a game on Sunday. And that's what you kind of have to do when you lose the Friday game. You've got to show up the rest of the weekend, and they did. So... Um, I think Nikhazy's been a big find for them. Then the offense, just doing what it was supposed to do, um, what we thought it was going to do coming into the season.
1: It's strange to me how much more balanced and clean the lineup looked with Ryan Olinick hitting leadoff.
2: Yeah, I thought that needed to happen. Um, and I think Gray's been good, but Olenek just he's been kind of the guy for them. Um, He's been so good all year. I was a little skeptical of him coming into the season because a lot of his success last year was just putting the ball in play finding holes didn't hit for a whole lot of power didn't walk a whole lot um but he's been hit swinging it so well this year that i didn't think there was any way um old miss could justify keeping him down in the fifth spot in the order so putting him at the top um him getting on base consistently doing what he does it just kind of lets everything else fall into place and allows those guys in the middle of the order um to swing away and do what they do and so w- when dillard hits a double down the line late in the game on sunday and they just kind of get rolling, so I think they've kind of found uh, found a kind of a lineup that works for them, and now it's just about going out and repeating it. It's a pretty dumb observation, quite frankly, because the sample size is so
1: small. But he was 0 for eight in the previous two games. Then he gets moved up to leadoff, and he's two for four. Doesn't say much, but it is interesting enough because, like I said, they looked balanced, and that was what was most impressive to me. And it allows Cole Zabowski to move up in the order, which he needed to do anyway. He had a four twelve week last week and played at seven, so all of those pieces fall into the plate makes sense. Is this now, do you think, the turnaround, the spark, the jumping off point for this baseball team to become what everyone thought it would be, and that's an, not just an SEC contender, but a contender for Omaha? Was this the weekend that provided some clarity as far as what they can be?
2: I don't know about for Omaha, but I think just in terms of being a good quality baseball team, one that competes for the West, and competes to be a regional host. I think so because they're starting to figure out some roles. Coming into the season, uh, I think we talked about how they had a bunch of options and it was just going to be like, versatility is great, but at some point you have to find guys to fill those roles. And it just felt like for a while, they were just kind of tinkering with stuff and, and they couldn't really get down to a, a best nine and then a best three in the rotation and figure out the bullpen there was just so many variables that you know they would find one and then something else would go wrong and now they're kind of starting to put it all together you know they kind of got their three in the rotation you know efforts on friday and a on saturday Gunnar Hoglund hasn't been great on sunday but i think he's going to kind of continue to develop into that role um houston ross starting to pitch it really well so there's a role for him somewhere as, a, as either a big time reliever or, you know, if, if Hoagland continues to struggle, he can pitch on Sundays as a starter. The lineup now with Olenek at the top, has Kessinger hitting it really well, Zabowski hitting it well, Dillard doing what he does. Um, it's just kind of all coming into place, and they're, they're done tinkering, and they're done trying to figure this out. And it's just kind of going now, all right, we've got our stuff figured out. Let's just go play. And I think that's a big deal for them to not have to worry about all that. All the variables are gone. Everything's into place now. And now you just go play baseball.
1: Unsung hero of the season. Tyler Myers, Juco, right-handed pitcher, earned his first career save in the win on Sunday, had a season-high four innings, allowed two hits, no runs, while striking out a season-high four of the 13 batters he faced. He struck out 18 in 17 season innings, and he's allowed four combined hits and no runs or walks with nine strikeouts in his last 10. That's the type of emergence you have to have if you're going to have a turnaround for a club. And for me, like you mentioned the role definition has started to come into focus. Tyler Myers is a good example of that.
2: Yeah, they need one more guy. They need another guy in the bullpen to kind of step up. That's the thing. We've never really worried about a Mike Bianco team from a pitching standpoint. They always pitch it well one way or another. Getting guys like Tyler Myers to step up and, and perform like he has, that's how this happens. You know, They always find a the guy. They always find quality arms to step up. And now it's just about – Okay, he's found this arm. It's time to go ahead and use him in big situations. They did it this weekend, and he stepped up and pitched well. So now you've got another guy to add into the mix, and so you keep adding guys. You know, Houston Roth is healthy now. He pitched really well on Friday. So it's just adding more and more, and giving yourself more options, more depth. And so um, as the season gets on, I think they're in a really good place now um, as the calendar moves forward.
1: I know nothing about Florida other than they've been top five all year. What I need to know about Florida going into the weekend series.
2: I mean, that's a good team. I mean, they're, they're not the, the Florida of years past by any means. They don't play, you know, they're, they're you know, what they're going to do. They're going to play good quality baseball. Or you're not going to just walk in there and waltz out with an easy W. So I think it's more about Ole Miss controlling what it can control. Um, now that you've kind of figured out your stuff on the mound, you kind of know Will Etheridge is going to pitch well, Nikhazy is going to pitch well, and then you figure it out on Sunday. I think they've got their formula down, and it's about Ole Miss going in and hitting. If Ole Miss hits, I think they're going to win the series. If they don't, then obviously um, going to have some issues. But, you know, it, it, again, it's um, as good as Florida can be. I think they're starting to get right. This is more about Ole Miss and playing their kind of baseball and, and doing what they do. If you play clean, you don't give up early errors, um, you, you kind of pitch deeper into the game with your starters, everything else will fall into place, and you win some series at home, and you're sitting pretty
1: this is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Ben on Twitter. He's BennettHip at Bennett Hip. If you haven't already, subscribe, rate, review, Talk of Champions in iTunes. We're also available on SoundCloud and soon to be back on Rebel Sports Radio. I write for the Ole Miss Spirit, omspirit.com, an affiliate of 247 Sports. The podcast brought to you by Thomas Chandler, your Modern Woodman representative. If you need help financially, contact Thomas today. He'll help you with retirement, savings, getting your financials in order. He's done it for me. He can do it for you. So what does Modern Woodman do? How about financial security for you and your family through life insurance, retirement planning, financial services? How about quality family life through member benefits and local fraternal activities? Community impact through local volunteer projects that make a difference where members live, work, and play. If your finances are bogging you down as they were for me, contact Thomas today. He's a personal friend. He's the one to talk to, 662-296-0186, 662-296-0186. To learn more, go to www.modernwoodman.org. That's www.modernwoodman.org. Thomas Chandler, your Modern Woodman representative. The podcast brought to you by Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. The car buying process can be overwhelming. Believe me, I've been there, like, recently. You're just looking to get the best deal anyway, right? If that's the case, and to avoid the headache, head on over to Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford. They're going to take care of you and get you into your next vehicle with a great deal. Their inventory is priced to sell, and what separates Alan Samuels' is Brian and Mason and the rest of the staff aims to address each of your needs with the utmost respect, care, and attention to detail. Tell them Talk of Champions sent you. They're hardcore Ole Miss fans, so they'll probably want to talk some of basketball, baseball, spring football practices, but more importantly, they'll want to make the process as seamless as possible and make sure you get what you want at a good price. Contact them today at 662-234-8000. Stop by and see them at 2201 East University Avenue in Oxford. That's just past Kroger, Alan Samuels Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Oxford to find your next perfect car, truck, or Jeep. Alan Samuels, let's be friends. My guests will be coming up in just a second. Before we get to that, I wanted to touch a little bit more on this basketball stuff. Dominic Olenichek being gone, that's no surprise now that we've fleshed it out. Same with Brian Hallams and Zach Naylor. When you look at the spring class... If you don't get Kadim Sy, where do you go? Is the grad transfer market the next spot? Now they obviously have a need down low. When you look at the structure of the roster going forward, what's the biggest need area for you? Is it a wing or is it a big? I know they're prioritizing both of them. Which for you is the most important?
2: I has got to be a big right now. Um, obviously, you want to add some stuff on the wing. Um, some scoring, some defense, some athleticism. But I, I think right now you've got to add a big, you know, with, with Dom gone and Bruce gone, you, you've got minutes available. You need someone who can be a post presence, can block some shots, can rebound. Um, so I, I think whether it's Kadim Sai and the Juco, or you go and find a grad transfer somewhere, um, I think that, that could be a, a pretty viable solution. But, yeah, I think it's got to be the big man. I mean, you've got to find at least one, and, and maybe two. So I, I think they're going to have to be pretty aggressive there. If you get Katim's obviously everything else kind of falls into place. He does so much for you. He's athletic. He can shoot. He can block shots. Um, you still need some depth behind him, obviously, but he's a pretty big piece. Now, if you don't get him, then you've really got to go find someone you know, not not only they can just be depth, but can also come in and play big minutes. And that's kind of hard to find. You know, Ole Miss has had good success with that. You know, MJ Rett stands out as a guy that came in and played big minutes for Ole Miss down low. You need to go find someone like that in this year's class to do that if you don't land Kadim side. But if you do, it takes the pressure off a little bit. But, yeah, I, I think definitely um, the, the big man down low on the post, that's where the focus has to be right now.
1: The grad transfer market's tough. I know there was a Bradley grad transfer that they tried to get in on and we're having great productive conversations with and then boom Kentucky and Duke and all these top programs come calling as well it makes it tough it's a really competitive market and that's why you can't count or put all your eggs in one basket as far as the grad transfer market is concerned because it's a volatile market and that's where you want to be able to get Kadim side, but I got a feeling that his recruitment is going to get really, really tough in the next two weeks. Do I expect Ole Miss, or at least do I think Ole Miss is the favorite right now? Yeah, I do. But if you think it's going to be easy pickings, you're in for a rude awakening once you see. Well, this is, you know,
2: this is, this is kind of the the unknown variable. Now You know, when Kermit came in, we knew that he was going to do what he does. He's been a very good coach. Um, his first recruiting class has been good. Um, he's found guys like Blank Hidson and KJ Buffin that can come in and play. Um, the class he's got coming in now, you do know, Duke column, pretty athletic. That you know, Bryce Williams they love out of junior college. Um, but now, you know, the way that they focus their recruiting, it's time to go win a battle, win a big battle. And that's easier said than done, obviously. But with all the momentum that Ole Miss has, and it's going to keep growing on the recruiting front. You know, this is the time they've got to go win some battles. They got to go beat some big boys. You know, if, if this is going to take the next step, and I, I think we all think that it's going to, this is when kind of Ole Miss kind of has to take that first step and kind of prove it. Say, hey, we're different. This is different than the last, than the last regime, different than the last, you know, recruiting deal where you would go and find some guys, but you didn't go and win the big time recruiting battle for the blue chip guys, um, whether that's in the grad transfer market, the JUCO market, whatever. You're going to have to go beat the big guys for Khadim Saw. You're going to go have to beat the big guys for a guy like Nate Sestino from Bucknell or whatever. Um, You've got to go that beat somebody. Guy, that was
1: the guy and, I was talking about. Yeah, the Bucknell guy.
2: Yeah, six nine, two forty five, really, really good player. Um, going to be wanted by everybody in the country. You know, Kentucky did the grad transfer thing with Reed Travis. Worked out very well for them. So they're going to they're going to hit that market again. Um, so it's time for Ole Miss to go win a battle and, and prove that you've taken the step. And I think they can do that, but it's one—it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be one of those things that happens overnight. So this is kind of put up for shut up time, kind of prove it time for Ole Miss to show, hey, this is different. We can take this step. And so um, I think they can do it, but you've got to go out and prove it now.
1: Time to talk to Mike Espy, former Ole Miss wide receiver, now back home in Madison. He's got a training facility for prospects for guys like me and Bennett who just want to get in shape. (laughs) But we talk about a lot of different stuff. That, of course, and then his playing career, playing with Eli, the 2003 LSU game, and how the hell Tay Biddle dropped the pass against Memphis. Also, arrogance as a wide receiver. Which wide receiver trio in Ole Miss history he would take? I think you can figure out where Mike Espy's going to go. Chris Collins, Mike Espy, Tay Biddle. Just think about it. It's Mike Espy on the Cheney's Pharmacy phone line. For all your pharmaceutical needs, Chaney's Pharmacy is the place to go. Chaney's offers prescription synchronization, immunizations compounding, a two lane drive through, and available hours that ensure your needs are met on your own time. Chaney's also accepts all third party insurance. It's a locally owned pharmacy that has been in Oxford over 40 years. At Chaney's Pharmacy, you get the best customer service out there. So give Chaney's a call, 662 234 7221. 662 234 7221. Or go visit them at 501 Bramlett Boulevard. That's right off of University Avenue. They're open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday and 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. on Sundays. You can find them online at com. Chinese Pharmacy, much more than just a pharmacy. Going now to the Chinese Pharmacy phone line to speak to former Ole Miss wide receiver Mike Espy. I've been wanting to have Mike on for a while. But first and foremost, before we get into some walking down memory lane moments, what are you doing right now, man? What's
0: going on? Man, nothing much, man. Good to be here. Good to be here. Um, I have a sports performance training facility um, here in Madison, Mississippi, where... We train athletes as as young as seven years old, up to professional athletes. Um, you know, in sports performance as well as we do adult boot camps and whatnot. Uh, just trying to get everybody everybody right, everybody healthy.
1: Okay, so if Ben Garrett, out of shape, thirty three year old, walked into your boot camp, would I die? You would not die. <laughs> you would not die. Okay. Listen, okay.
0: everything everything is. It's kinda on your level what you could do. Yes, we have a curriculum that we that, that we prescribe for you, um, but, but I want you to come in and do what you can do to the maximum of your ability, um, and then we go from there. The point is to to get to get more in shape, uh, more equipped to do things on a daily basis, so that by the time you look back at where you started and you're a completely different person.
1: See, I need to call you up this week after we're done doing this podcast nonsense. And you need to tell me what I need to do. I'll just drop some cash for you. you. Tell me what I need to do to not be fat anymore. That's what that's what I need. As you know, I need to feel like I'm in shape again. I just can't do box jumps, Mike. I don't want to do that anymore. I'm done
0: with those. Hey, just come see me. That's all you got to do. Listen, I'm at D1 Jackson, 214 Parkway East in Madison, Mississippi. Just make that drive down 55, make the turn. <laughs> come see me, man, and we'll get you right.
1: Well, tell me about this. You're involved uh, with prospects coming up. Uh, you're a, a decorated wide receiver at Ole Miss, a fan favorite. Uh, you went and played with the Washington Redskins, so you've been in the NFL. Prospects when they come to you, what what do you try to tell them about? Hey, Mike, I want to follow a career path like yours. I want to get to that level. How? Do, where's the starting point? What's the initial advice? What's the initial
0: encouragement from you? The initial encouragement, um, you know, everybody everybody doesn't make it to the NFL. So, like, let's just let's just clarify that and. So by that being said, I need to make sure that, you know, the athletes that I'm training, that I have a close relationship with them into um, where I'm making sure they're doing the things right in the, in the school, make sure they're doing things right off the field. Now, you have some, I have some athletes and I look at them and I say, man, if, if they just continue on to the path that they're on, they potentially have to have the um, ability to make it. But, you know, I, I try to teach some of my athletes goal setting Um, you know, a lot of athletes just kind of say, Hey, this is what I want to do, but like, don't really have a plan to get there. Just like anything in life. If you're trying to go be a dentist or a doctor, you need to develop a plan to get there. You need to have a strategic mapped out route. That's going to put you in the prime position to get where you want to be. So when I have athletes come in, you know, obviously the, the workout and the training regimen is a part of that. Um, doing the things you need to do in the classroom is a part of that. Um, doing it, the, the specific things off the field to get there is a part of that. It all goes into this this pie um, of just becoming the athlete that you want to be and the person that you want to be.
1: Every player, prospect, former player, they all have an arrogance about them. They have to. You have to believe that you're the best because you got to go out and prove it and put it on film on the field. I was listening to a podcast recently and I think Reggie Miller was on and Reggie said, you know, I want to help the next generation, you know, help them get better. They always ask me what tips you got, but if they ever try to come at me, I got to show them. Now, Mike, you can be honest here. Prospects right, right. ever say, Hey, Mike, I can get you. Do you have to step in there and mix it up and show them? Man, all
0: the time. Listen, all the time, this, this generation, Uh, you know, they, they might not have really seen me play. They've heard about me. Uh, but from time to time I have to pop open the YouTube videos, uh, so they can see, listen, I have a, there's a team that I work with. Um, and I went and got some custom ID Nike cleats just for them, meaning not, not, not for them, but for me to put on myself just in case any of them wanted to try me. But man, it happens all the time, man. Sometimes you got to put the cleats on <laughs> and, and show and show them a couple moves. Now tell them, listen, I used to be good with the fade ball. I, I don't, I don't necessarily need that. I, I work within a five yard window, and then and I'm done for about after three plays. And I'm gonna just show you a little bit. But absolutely, you gotta gotta show the guys sometimes.
1: If you had to run a forty
0: right now, what could you hit? Oh, <laughs> uh, don't do that to me, man. Don't don't do that to me. I I actually ran the forty on laser time uh, about three weeks ago, and I ran a four six five on laser. Ooh! Now that's listen. Listen, my my fastest ever um, was a four two eight with uh, at Ole Miss my senior year um, when when the coaches time us in it. So four six five that's that's a long shot from that. Yeah, but that's salty still, Mike. That's still salty. Well, listen, I can I can still get out. I can still get out for about ten, about 15, 20 yards. And after that, I don't have that get-up like I used to. But my initial star is pretty decent.
1: 1,779 yards in your Ole Miss career, 10 touchdowns. I want to talk about one game in particular. Okay, so 2003. It's one of the greatest seasons in okay. Ole Miss history. Uh, that's the year that Ole Miss tied for the SEC West Division Championship with LSU. Do you remember the good times? of that season, the Cotton Bowl, winning 10 games, Eli, all the accomplishments, or do you think more about, for example, in the loss to LSU, had Eli not missed you when you were running wide open on the post pattern in the second quarter, maybe the game turns differently. What sticks out more? Is it the the great things or the missed opportunities?
0: So, you know, from that particular season, the great things I remember more you know there are those elements to the game that I do remember. I do remember being wide open um you know, I do remember those midfield goals. uh but you know you you as time goes by you things kind of get a little get a little blurry uh the good things seem a lot greater than what they were, and that the bad things uh they seem a little worse uh, but I just remember that those were some good times. Uh, the good times be at Ole Miss, and I'm just ready for it to get back to that.
1: Ole Miss LSU 2003, the best atmosphere in Ole Miss football history for a home game?
0: Without a doubt. Without a doubt, man, like, there are some great games to come through Ole Miss after that, but that that one, that I will remember that one forever. Now, I go to a lot of the home games, um, but that, that atmosphere was just electric. And then when, when Travis Johnson got that intercession against yeah. Mark in the first quarter, yeah, Man, that place—that place lit
1: up. I was on the fifty-yard line when Travis Johnson took the interception off of Matty Mock and went in for a touchdown, and I was convinced. I was like, "Okay, this—it's—it's destiny. It's destiny for Ole Miss to win this and go to Atlanta." I, did y'all feel that on the sidelines when he made that? That y'all are a team of destiny.
0: One hundred percent. You know, when 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 you say a team of destiny, you know, I don't necessarily know about that, but I know that. I know what we did in the off season. Listen, every team works in the off season. So to a degree, every team can say the things that I'm about to say, but I knew how hard we worked. I knew how I knew the countless hours. Eli had us out there just doing pass scale um, when nobody, when no coaches out there, when nobody knew that we were out there. I remember watching Patrick Willis grind and do his thing. So when I think about it, You know, we were a really tough, solid team, and nobody shied away from the work. And we had an amazing quarterback, Eli Manning, who could take us anywhere we want to go.
1: All-time greats are generational. Like, my dad will always say Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time, while I'll try to make the debate or argument for Kobe or LeBron. It's just the way it goes. But Eli, for me, is the greatest Ole Miss Rebel of all time. Now it's generational. My dad would say Archie. What do people not know about Eli as a quarterback that they didn't see on the field? What was he like off the field and working with him in the timing and getting the chemistry right in practices? What was Eli Manning, if he's an all-time great, what was he to you?
0: Oh, with 100% Eli is an all-time great to me. Um, he, he by far is one of the most, to me, one of the most accurate quarterbacks. But, you know, it's one thing being accurate, and it's one thing being accurate and throwing the ball with a certain amount of touch Um, to where you're just not making things. Just Your receivers don't have to make these crazy catches. Now, we did make some crazy catches, and we made them look good sometimes. Um, But for the most part, when you ran a a dig route, you knew that you were going to come out of it, and you knew the window for which he was going to hit you in. Or if he didn't hit you at that window, you knew the second window was coming. But it was more he was a coach on the field, and – as he as he coached us on the field and we went through practice, a lot of those things came true to where our knowledge of the game increased. He was one of those 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 guys who when he was on the field, you were confident because you knew exactly what he was seeing. And then if you guys saw things on the same page, you knew exactly where he was going with the ball, why he was going there with the ball. And that that just breeds a certain amount of confidence as opposed to just getting out there, running routes and being concerned about yourself.
1: Mike Espy, Chris Collins, Tay Biddle, or I give you Laquan Treadwell, DeMario String, fellow Quincy Joe or AJ Brown, DK Metcalf to Marcus Lodge. Which trio are you taking?
0: Come on now. Come on now. You, you already know I'm going to go. You already know who I'm going to go with. Yeah. Um, so I was looking for, listen, I'm going, I'm going with, I'm going with a, a combination with Mike Espy and Chris Collins on the field. Um, Listen, those other groups, awesome. All praise to DK, A.J. Brown, DeMarcus Lodge, what they're doing. I'm fans. I cannot wait until next this next season happens, and I'm cause am going to go buy every one of their last jerseys. But I'm going to bet on myself. I'm going to put me out there.
1: What would your advice be to Laquan and DK and DeMarcus Lodge as they're going into the NFL?
0: Um, One, that, that everything – this is a, this is a renew this is a, a renewal of of things. Um, you know, to go in with a humble heart, go in with a solid work ethic, and outwork everybody. Literally, outwork everybody. Get in the classroom. Um, know your plays. Don't just know one position. Learn all the positions. And go in there and have fun. Because at the end of the day, that's what this is. It's a game. But the more prepared you are. The more you can have fun at the game.
1: If you were an NFL GM, would you prefer AJ or DK?
0: Listen, I love, I like both those guys. It's I, nothing I like personal. Both of them. Yeah, it's nothing personal. It, if I'm a GM, it would it would depend on what my team needs. Um, you know, you know, AJ is is that that um, that Swiss Army knife. You can put him anywhere. You can put him in a slot. You can put him outside. Um, and and he's going to dominate. And then so D.K. is is more noted for being outside, and he can really stretch the defense, and he's that big body. So depending on who I have on my team already and what we need, that's how I would determine that decision.
1: Here's the question about D.K. that I'm reading in draft reports and from scouts and hearing from scouts. His three-cone and short shuttle weren't good, actually historically bad. I mean, the only other two wide receivers in history – that ran his numbers at short shuttle and three cone were Jarvis Landry and Deandre Hopkins. Now you can't compare him to Deandre Hopkins. That's a generational talent. And Jarvis Landry's had a great career in the NFL, but is that something that you can learn or you can improve on in the NFL? Or is that something that you could see being a sticking point for him?
0: It's not a sticking point for him. Listen, you know, some to just to to be flat out there, some people drill well, some people don't, Um, you know, and, and those drills for him, just weren't his thing. And and over a course of eight to ten weeks, he had to, well, he was coming off of an injury, and he had to sit there and prepare for those drills. Um, what I think, when you look at DK, what you need to look at, you need to look at his production in the 21 games that he played, his ability to stretch the field. You've seen his short area quickness when he catches the pass and literally takes two steps, which you have to be quick to get those steps out, and then you have to be long, uh, fast to get beside him. He has that. I wouldn't, if I'm a GM, I'm not looking at that and I don't have any concern because I've actually seen him in action do the things that allegedly those drills are supposed to say that you can or cannot do.
1: What was the NFL draft process like for you? Were you a good driller?
0: Man, I was a, I was a good driller, driller, man. I ran a a really good 40. Uh, my three cone drill, it wasn't the fastest. It was, It was like in the 90th percentile. My pro agility was about in the 97th percentile. I I vertical jumped at 37. Um, You know, and I was – I put on about five pounds. Um, So, yeah, it was – but it was a process. And, I mean, that doesn't just happen overnight. You have to be drilling it. just persistence, persistence, persistence. Um, And then, um, you know, some do well, some don't.
1: Was there any draft interview that was weird?
0: Did you got asked
1: weird questions?
0: Uh, I don't think I, I don't think the questions were weird. Some of them I did not seem very relevant to. Uh, like what? You know what? You know I just got asked questions about my dad. You know my dad was in politics or exiting politics at the time. Um, you know I got asked questions about what kind of food do I like, a girlfriend I had or didn't have, things like that. But you know. When I was coming out, I was so focused and so business-minded oriented in terms of what I was doing. You know, I kind of wanted to talk X's and O's. um, You know, but at the end of the day, those interviews—they're trying to get to know the person, trying to get to know who they're going to pick up on their team.
1: I was a Cowboys fan, so when you went to the Redskins, or I'm a Cowboys fan, when you went to the Redskins, yeah, I wasn't happy about it. Did any other team did you feel like really wanted you? Did you think you were going somewhere else when you
0: got picked by the Redskins? I did. I thought I was going to the Ravens. Um, you know, the Ravens have been calling me throughout the draft. Um, so, you know, well, 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 actually, let me let me back up and just say this. I'll say that draft day for me was a great day, but then it was a day that I will remember forever in the in the fact that I did not get drafted. I got picked up a free agent, and right. in my mind, I was I was going to get drafted. Um, so, you know, I took a long walk as the draft rolled on, I took a long walk around my mom's neighborhood and then my phone started blowing up. I got called by the giants. I got called by the Ravens. I got called by the Eagles and I got called by the Redskins, but the Ravens had been the most consistent. They called me about three to four times and were telling me, Hey, listen, we we might pick you up right here. This was while the draft was going on. And so then when the draft was over, I knew for sure that they were going to call me, but then the Redskins called me. Um, and and it was a great conversation. Uh, my family, you know, my dad had been at the D.C. all the time, so D.C. was like a second home. So, um, And I'd always been a fan of Santana Moss. I wanted to go see what he was all about.
1: It's one thing I've talked about with many other former players before. A lot of them say if you don't make it in the first four rounds, you kind of prefer to be an undrafted free agent because you get to pick your destination because the money's about the same. Is that how you felt once you kind of came to grips with that? I know you want to hear your name called. But as far as controlling your own future, there is a benefit then to being an undrafted free agent, isn't there? Yeah,
0: oh, 100%. 100%. Like if if this round after that, I would prefer, I would love for my name to have been called, but I would, would prefer to kind of make my decision because, yes, if a team wants you, then it becomes on your terms. If multiple teams want you, it becomes on your terms in terms of where you want to go and how you want to go about it. So, yeah, I mean, the money's about the same from about the fifth on. So, um, you know, it's it's also awesome to be able to pick where you want to go. And then if you are familiar, because some people get picked up, go to different uh, teams because they have a relationship with the coach. Um, it's always good to have a relationship with the coach where you're going in because then you have somebody who you know is in your corner.
1: What was it like being the son of a politician?
0: Oh, it was. Uh, it was – it was – it was interesting. It was fun. It was, um, you know, sometimes you're in the spotlight when you don't want to be in the spotlight. Um, you know, sometimes you're you're around things that you don't necessarily want to. You want to be going out there catching the football and things like that. But what I will say, it was also gratifying to see my dad do something that he loved to do, um, that he wanted to do, wanted to help the state of Mississippi. And I got to experience a lot of things that no other kid got to experience. And I remember, I remember, I had a, a mock speech that I had to give to my school. Um, and I traveled with my dad to D.C. the weekend before I had to go um, give it. And I practiced it, practiced my speech at the House of Representatives. Like I was, I was on stage. My dad and I were the only ones in the room. And I said my whole. It was a Nelson Mandela speech. Uh, I said my Nelson Mandela speech on the stage of the House of Representatives before my dad. It was pretty awesome.
1: Did you ever think about going into politics after football
0: was over? Yeah, I thought about it. Um, I thought about it. It's, it's somewhere in my mind still. It might be a possibility down the road Ooh. um, at, at some point. But, you know, right now I'm focused on just trying to help these kids, uh, Help help these kids, try to get back to the community for which I live. You know, when I was coming up, my dad took me to – somewhere similar to, to what I'm doing now, but it was in Boca Raton, Florida. And when I went there for one summer, I came back a different athlete. Just the, the, the mind was different. Um, you know, I, I, I got out of my comfort zone and I saw what was really out there. So that's what I try to do with these kids. You know, some of them are really good. Some of them think they're really good. Needless to say, they are better out there. Um, or they're, or they're not better. They might be working harder. So I want to instill that in the kids so that they understand that don't judge and view yourself by around your immediate surroundings or where you are because it's a big world out there. All right, Mike Espy's
1: in the huddle. You got Chris, you got Eli, everybody else. You're all in the huddle together. Were you a guy that looked at Eli and said, give me the ball? Were you one of those type of
0: receivers? 100%. Yeah? 100%. Give me the ball. I'm open. But, like, I know a lot of receivers say that, but I'm open for real, like. Just throw me the ball, and as soon as I say that, Chris is on the other side. Man, give me the ball, and I'm like, man, give me the ball. So, but great thing about Eli, when we were playing, Chris Collins, Chris Collins is like a big brother to me. He he brought me in, showed me everything. To me, he's the he he is one of the top three best receivers to ever come through Ole Miss. Um, but you know, so when we were there. That was, Chris was Eli's go-to, consistently. But we needed a big play. We needed we needed to pop the top off the defense. He threw it my way. So, um, he spread around pretty good, though. But that would be a great, I would love to be back in that situation again. Who did you pick Ole Miss over? What was your recruitment like? Well, you know, I narrowed my choices from Florida State, um, Tennessee, and Ole Miss. I narrowed it down to those three. When I was coming up, you know everybody thought I was going to Florida State. Like that was my that was my dream school. Um when I I got the offer originally when I went to a Bowden quarterback receiver academy, Coach Bowden went to my dad and asked him, Will I run a forty after the camp? And my dad was like, Well I don't know. He's gonna be tired. And I was like, Yeah, I'll do it. And I ran a four, like a four, four, five, something like that, uh after the camp. And they offered me, Clemson offered me on the spot. Um but when I was making my decision, just to be honest with you, uh, I fell in love with Ole Miss. I went to Ole Miss. I went to some of the practices. I saw Eli. You know, Coach Mike McIntyre. At the time he was there, he recruited me. Um, so he, once you go to Ole Miss, man, it, it's hard to it's hard to leave, especially once you develop a relationship with them. And if you had a great quarterback there like Eli, man, and it's hard it's hard to say no. Yeah,
1: Mac recruited you. He's now back at Ole Miss. What do you think about the fit and being the defensive coordinator and what he could bring to a program that really needs his help? Quite frankly,
0: man, I love it. I love it. Like as soon as as soon as uh, they picked him up, I I texted him and congratulate him because I think that's what we need. We need guys. We need Ole Miss guys. Um, like I said, when he was recruiting me, like to me, like I chose Ole Miss in part because of how he represented Ole Miss to me and what I thought about him. If I would have had a bad experience with him, then chances are I probably wouldn't have gone. So I love it, man. I'm just – I'm looking forward to what he can bring to the table, the guys that he could get in. Uh, And I know that he has a coaching ability and kids will play for him. So I, I can't wait to see that. You're a Madison kid.
1: You stayed in state. You don't see that kind of allegiance to staying in state anymore. Last year's class was the greatest class as far as depth is concerned in Mississippi recruiting history and yet a lot of kids left and went out of state do you think that's something that can be fixed I mean is is it I mean what's the problem do you think why why do you think kids don't have that state allegiance as they do at LSU or maybe even Alabama wherever you want to look it just feels like Mississippi kids they don't think
0: twice about going out of state and if I gonna be honest with you I think there needs to be a culture change you know when you go to when when, when, a coach from outside of Alabama goes in to recruit, the chance of them pulling a kid to Alabama is pretty tough, right? Because these kids have this allegiance to the particular schools. Um, it's actually a very funny thing because there's something called Mississippi Made that people say all the time. And like these kids are very proud about being from the state of Mississippi. Yet, we choose to go to schools outside of the state of Mississippi. I think the success of the teams at this current moment has a great a great deal to do with it. I think once Ole Miss gets back to where they should be, Mississippi State gets to where they should be, I think that's when you should really start to see the kids going to the schools in-state. Um, but that only happen if these kids in-state kind of see that they could be a part of something that can transition and change the culture and transition these schools to a different place. But yeah, I think the success of the teams has a great, great deal to do with it.
1: All right. One of the last things, your best at Orgeron story.
0: Oh, geez. (laughs) Um, Coach O, Coach O, Coach O. I remember uh, he came the lock. I mean, excuse me, in the team meeting one day. Like my my memory gets kind of kinda of funny, so I might get it wrong a little bit. But I know he just came in there with that Cajun voice, that the little little rusty um accent he has. And I believe he started to challenge another coach. Not not really, not really challenging, but he was trying to get us pumped up, get us excited. And he started he ripped like ripped his shirt off. Then another coach ripped his shirt off. And me, I'm sitting here as a senior, like I didn't know what was going on. I'm like, uh, oh, who are these guys? Uh, But it was it was awesome, man. Because we hadn't had that. You know, he was a new coach coming in, trying to change the culture from what we did the previous season. Uh, so yeah, that's my best story. When did you know it wasn't going to work? Huh. Man, I remember. I remember. I I forget what game it was, but I, the quarterback dropped back in the pocket and. He got sacked, but like nobody hit him. Meaning, like I think one of our offensive linemen bumped him, and he and he got he got dropped. And the thing is, I look at that. The quarterback is Michael Spurlock. That's my boy. He is the most athletic, one of the most athletic guys I've ever known in my life. Um, So when that happened, I'm thinking to myself, "Oh man, this is gonna be a long season." Because it's like when something like that happens with a guy who's running a four three. And with calves the size of a bowling ball, I don't know. And it didn't turn out to be a great season, but a lot was learned throughout that season.
1: No one can convince me that after the Cotton Bowl season, winning four games, I remember before David Cutcliffe got fired, I was talking to Robert Lane one time, and he said that Cutcliffe told him, hey, look, you're going to be the quarterback next year. Spurlock was going to do what he did in the NFL. He was going to become the all-world guy at wide receiver, running back, whatever. Do you think Robert Lane, David Cutcliffe gets another year? Robert Lane at quarterback, the winning comes
0: back quickly. Man, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest with you. I love uh, Spurlock at the quarterback position. I do. Really? I just think that, that I think that we perhaps um, the approach could have been different. You know, perhaps we put him in a not necessarily a Eli system but we create um, uh, uh, um, assists for him. Now, I think in offenses like today, when they do more of the RPO, maybe like we're more successful with that with him, but that just wasn't the game plan, so I think that's why it didn't work. All right, last one.
1: The quintessential Mike Espy moment is what at Ole Miss?
0: The quintessential Mike Espy moment Uh, is my first touchdown. My first touchdown against Vanderbilt. 78-yard 78, 78 touchdown at home. Um, you know, I scored a touchdown. It was a post. The, the play was actually 762 x post And Eli dropped back, hit me on the dime. I got in the end zone. I did some little celebrating. Came back to the sideline. Coach Cutcliffe got on me a little bit. <laughs> but, yeah, I remember that one forever.
1: Yeah, Cut doesn't seem like a guy that really, would really love celebrating all that much.
0: Oh, not at all. Like, I had this wristband on that said the answer. Well, we remember who the answer was. The answer was Allen Iverson. Yes. And, um, you know, he had a little brand coming out there, and I thought it was cool. Well, Cut made me take that off and put on something else to be more of a team player. Like, in today's this today's day and age, man, players get to wear anything they want.
1: Yeah. You would have been decked out in all this Under Armour stuff.
0: Oh, 100%. I would have had on everything. I would have had all the swag. That's what it's about these days, the swag.
1: I wish you would have, like, toasted a cornerback and then because you loved Allen Iverson, done, like, the step over Tyrone Liu on him, you know, catch the touchdown, oh. step over the cornerback.
0: Man, that, that, that wasn't really my – the the. See, a lot of people misperceived me. A lot of people thought I was kind of a showboat guy. Um,
1: That's look. I was, I was, how old was I back then? Good lord, it was 2003. I'm 33 years old now. That was 16 years ago. And that's what Ole Miss fans loved about Mike Espy. It's that there was this perception that I'm going to beat you. And when I do beat you, I'm going to tell you about it. So you don't need to run from that, Mike. Come on now. That's what, that's what, that's (laughs) what, no, no, no.
0: no, I'm not, listen, I'm not running from it. I'm not running from it. Um, You know, it's a, it's a true fact that. I when I played the game, I was highly confident in my abilities and what I could do. Um And but here's the thing. Here's the trick about me. I wasn't really a talker unless you started talking to me first. And if you start talking to me first. It's going to be trouble trying to get me to shut up because I'm probably <laughs> not going to shut up. Like if you if you open up that Pandora's box and you start talking trash to me, man, it's going to be a long day.
1: I, I was going to say that was the last one, but I have to ask one more because it just popped in my brain. I've been wanting to talk to Mike forever, so I got to ask this question. How the hell did y'all lose to Memphis? It couldn't just been Tay oh dropping the ball. Oh, my
0: God. Oh, my God.
1: Oh, my God. I don't look, man. It couldn't just be Tay dropping the ball.
0: Listen, nothing, no win or no win or loss is made off of one play. Um, I think we overlooked them. Uh, I think we overlooked them. We came in. You know, we were obviously well-prepared. Coach Cut had, had prepared us for the game. Um, but we just knew we were going to come in and win that one. And you know how Memphis always plays us. They play us tough into the ropes. Well, we had been clicking on all cylinders and was, we were just feeling so confident about ourselves. We dug a hole for ourselves in that game. And then once we dug ourselves a hole in that game and then we didn't hit two or three plays, it was lights out and they beat us. Um, you know, that was, that by far is one of the losses that I look back on and be like, man, if we would have beat Memphis, and then if we would have beat LSU, and we all, we lost forty nine to forty five to Texas Tech. Texas Tech. Like, I still
1: remember. I, rem- I still remember Vaughn in that defensive secondary. They had no answer. <laughs> they had zero answer for that group. That four two five did nothing to stop that passing game. I think they went over six hundred yards. Oh, Vaughn Hutchins had one of his worst games. He wouldn't had a great NFL career.
0: I know, I know, I know, man. That game we lost forty nine to forty five, and it was just it was a shootout back and forth. But if we would have won those three games, or well, we undeniably would have been in a national championship, or yeah. or, or, or in contention or a contention to be in one. Yeah. But you know, hey, if it was a fifth, you know what they say. So we're not gonna look back on different things. All I know is that I had a great experience at Ole Miss. Um, you know, if I had to do it all over and make the decision again, I would do the exact same thing I did because Ole Miss' family is home um, and it's a great place to be.
1: And we both can agree that Eli completely got robbed of the Heisman, right?
0: Oh, Without a doubt. Come on. That guy, let me tell you, man, Eli is in college. I don't think people really understand, like, what kind of coach he was on the field. I don't think people really understand that what that means for an entire offensive unit. And I can imagine what that means for a coaching staff that you know, that you have a guy who's an extension of you that's on the field and he's going to put you in the right position. He's going to call the right place. Um, he's going he's going to drop passes where they need to be dropped. So by far, Eli was the most valuable player to me that year.
1: He's Mike Espy, former Ole Miss wide receiver. It's been a while. I wanted to have him on talk of champions for quite some time. Finally made it happen. Thanks for doing this, man. Let's do it again. Thank you, man. Appreciate you.
0: You've walked this path many times before. It's a chance to think, especially about your future. How will you turn your retirement dreams into reality? Will you have enough gold for your golden years? Your choices for building funds for retirement can be complicated. Fortunately, you have a friend in the community who can help you make the right decisions. That's your Modern Woodman agent. Your agent is a skilled professional who will listen to your needs and desires and then work with you to create a plan that uses the right financial products to achieve your retirement goals. Build a lasting professional relationship with a trusted financial advisor. Hi, this is Thomas Chandler, your local Modern Woodman representative. Give me a call today at 662 296 0186. Let's make a difference together. Hotty Toddy and Go Rebs. Get in touch with your agent today. Modern Woodman of America, touching lives, securing futures.
1: That was former Ole Miss wide receiver Mike Espy. This is Talk of Champions. I'm Ben Garrett at Spirit. Ben on Twitter. He's Bennett Hip at Bennett Hip. Okay, so what did we learn this weekend? What did Ole Miss Sports was the biggest takeaway?
2: Man, I think baseball is kind of riding the ship. I think that was such an important weekend for them. And I think if you watch that series, you saw Friday night, and you see Ole Miss lose that game, and you're thinking, man, they needed to get one. You don't get Friday night. You've got issues on Sunday with starting pitching. is um, still pretty new to the rotation on Saturday. I think you could say, well, you know, there's a chance they come back 0-3. And at that point, you're in really deep trouble. And instead – they find a way to get to, they come back, the pressure is off, the, the angst is is for one weekend has gone away. And now it's just kinda you get to play baseball and not have to worry about, oh, you know, we're gonna fail expectations, this, this and this. So um I know softball had a big weekend as well, but I, I think baseball finding its way um is the biggest story and, and I think they're gonna carry it over and um start to play some good baseball.
1: Ole Miss and Mississippi State, both at five and four in the SEC. It's how they got there that the feelings and the perception around those programs are just so much different right now
2: yeah well it's it's funny you know that state team has been really really good um uh, they ran into some trouble against lsu and that's the thing with the west man everyone is good everyone is alabama's the worst team and they played old miss pretty tight and so it's going to be a real battle and so it was so important for Ole miss to go on the road and get two or the, two or three knowing what you have coming up next We've got a team like florida coming to town and just there's there's no easy weekends, so as, as Mississippi State found out against LSU this past weekend. So it's um it, it's a battle, but that's why I think it was so big for Ole Miss to do what they did. Mike Espy is a hundred percent correct. Eli was
1: a hundred percent robbed of the Heisman in two thousand and three.
2: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think he's certainly got a very valid argument for that. Um I think uh, it's know.
1: one of those Heisman robberies that You look back on it years now down the line, Eli's wrapping up his NFL career, and you just assume that Eli won it that year. Like the casual college football fan goes, oh, yeah, Eli won it, right? No, Danny White did, or
2: Jason White. Jason White Yeah, I mean, I think you you can make an argument for Larry Fitzgerald. He was really, really good. I mean, really good. Almost 1,700 yards, 22 touchdowns as a sophomore for Pitt. I mean, just an incredible year. But yeah, it, it, that's one. There are a few highs of winners where you look back and you just kind of like, how did this kind of happen? And Jason White's numbers are great, but it just hasn't aged well at all. And and you look at the rest of that list. I mean, there's so many big names. You know, Fitzgerald finished second, Eli finished third, Darren Sproles, Matt Leinart, Philip Rivers, Mike Williams, Roethlisberger. I mean, so many guys. For as good of a list as that is, the winner is incredibly underwhelming. So. Yeah, I think Eli's got a valid case. I think Larry Fitzgerald has a valid case. So it's it's personal preference at that point. But Eli's numbers were just so incredibly good.
1: Yeah, you take Eli off that team. I mean, you saw it the next year.
2: <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. In four
1: games. I mean, stop. It's absurd. Jason White was the Heisman winner over Eli Manning. <laughs> he finished third. Third. Yeah. Yeah. I'm big um, on a the conspiracy theory in regards to that voting. No, if, if you told me right now somebody had some nude pictures of somebody, I'd believe it. I
2: really would. Well, you know, that year was so strange because we've seen recent years, the votes been pretty, you know, pretty heavily skewed toward the top three. Um, but there are a lot of guys that got first place points in that deal. Eli got a bunch, obviously Chris Perry, Darren Sproles, liner got some Philip rivers, got some Mike Williams from USC, got some, um, big Ben, someone voted for BJ Simons from Texas tech, which doesn't make any sense, but, um probably off of throwing 600 yards against stoltman's yeah well yeah well he, i mean to be fair like i said it makes no sense to be fair he did throw for almost 6,000 yards and 52 touchdowns but obviously that was the peak of the texas tech system offense whatever um but it was just it was a weird year in terms of um there are so many good players and the the votes got spread out so much where the the number for jason white were pretty overwhelming i mean Almost four thousand yards, forty touchdowns, ten interceptions. Um, you know, Eli about the same number of yards, thirty six hundred yards, but he he had eleven less touchdowns, but you completely different systems, different offenses, whatever. So yeah, big you know, totally valid argument for Eli. I think there's a valid case for Larry Fitzgerald. Hard to make a real case for Jason White deserving that one looking back, you know, fifteen plus years later.
1: Tremaine Turner was his running back. Who is the running back for Jason White?
2: I mean, that's, I mean, that's, is that, okay. It's AP's, is that AP or is I that? I think so, isn't it? Uh, it's not, no, it's not, it's not AP. It was, uh, Keewon Jones, who had a career in the NFL, is pretty good. Um, okay. well, still. so, but still, yeah. I mean, that, that Oklahoma team was very good, but, it, it was one of those things where if you watched Ole Miss closely, you realize how important Eli was to that team. Not that they didn't have talent elsewhere, but he was so, so important. And the QB always is, but it felt like even more so for Eli. He had to be really, really good for them to do what they wanted to do.
1: Eli was robbed. He was robbed. <laughs> Period. In a discussion. And I will contend that 2003 LSU game, the best home atmosphere in an Ole Miss game ever. And I'm counting two thousand fourteen Ole Miss Bama. Everything else, that was the best.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um disappointing result, obviously. But it it kind of showed what Ole Miss could be in terms of a big atmosphere, and you don't have to have some big massive stadium to have a crazy atmosphere like Ole Miss did. And I think it kind of um was foreshadowing for what Ole Miss built um, you know, the last few years. So yeah, it's um that was a fun one though. Absolutely. He's Ben at Hip. I'm Ben Garrett at SpiritBen
1: at Bennett Hip. This has been Talk of Champions. Subscribe rate review talk of champions in iTunes. Also available on SoundCloud and soon to be back on Rebel Sports Radio, all right for the Oma Spirit Ole Miss Spirit.com and the 247 Sports. If you haven't already, follow Mike Espy on Twitter at ESPN3 All Day. It's the perfect Mike Espy handle for Twitter, if I do say so myself. Thanks, man. We'll do it again.
2: Absolutely.
0: This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on.